Hey, I'm Jam Supernova and welcome to my DIY handbook. So I've learned so many things throughout the years on my journey as a freelance creative and sometimes I just really wished I had a place where I could go to hear the experiences, the processes and the decisions of other people like me. But most importantly, I really wanted to hear the lessons and the mistakes. So that's what this is. Each episode, I'll be sharing a lesson that I've learned along the way. I'll be honest in sharing my stories of when things haven't gone right and the solutions I've worked out. I'll be joined by a host of inspiring guests who have either been on a similar journey or had the answers right away. We'll be discussing how to build a team, persistence, the power of no, evolving and so much more. Disclaimer, this podcast was recorded at the end of 2020 and the first few months of 2021. So if you hear references to last year, don't worry about it. I wanted to start this episode with the definition of persistence, quick Google search, and I found that it is continuing in an opinion or course of action in spite of difficulty or opposition. I've always been inspired by athletes and sports people. They work day in, day out. They have discipline, willpower and self-belief. And it made me think we can learn a lot from their practices. So what is it that keeps them going? How can we apply those same principles to our careers and businesses? I wanted to speak to an athlete to find out more and who better than Katarina Johnson-Thompson, KJT, English heptathlete, world championship gold medal owner, also a gold medal at the 2018 Commonwealth Games. She sits comfortably in the world all-time top 25 heptathletes. That's so huge. And she's on this episode right now. So Kat, welcome to Jam Supernova's DIY Handbook. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No worries. I wish people could see your wallpaper because it looks absolutely amazing. Thank you very much. I think oh, during this lockdown stuff, everyone's just trying to get the Zoom backgrounds on point. So this is something that my mum's helped me with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you for that. This is my actual bedroom. So okay. you get to see inside. Nice, nice. We'll, we'll, we'll be posting a little video clip of this interview so you'll be able to see the amazing wallpaper and get some inspo um, from Kat. Um, I guess first, you know, I guess it's so annoying to talk about... Um, the lockdown because we've been speaking about it so much um but for you as an athlete what have been like the direct ways that it's affected you i know i'm but it didn't take me 30 seconds then to bring down in coronavirus but uh yeah the lockdown and how it's affected me it's been in a couple of waves now hasn't it i think the first the first wave when last spring when you know it was all apparent that things were going you know really seriously i think that was when Athletes started to get really affected. The Olympics were still on. Um, the IOC was saying that, you know, Olympics going ahead is normal. Athletes need to prepare for them as if, you know, they always have been. But then governments and stuff were saying, you know, the tracks were shutting and saying you can't, um, you can't get together in a group, which is, you know, problematic because we've got a big group and I've got training partners and my coach and stuff. So, like, the IOC and the government were giving us two conflicting different pieces of advice. So at that point, you were just like, what can we do? And we just ended up, you know, stripping down our training to be like running on the road, hills by ourselves and stuff. And then eventually the Olympics got cancelled. So it was one of those things where we had to adapt to a timetable change instead of just adapting training. Yeah. And for DJs, I mean, again, it's, it's, I guess it's been a sort of similar thing. It's been sort of start, stop. It's been, um, you know, summer is sort of opened back up. People had a, Some people had a few gigs and then suddenly it was shut again. And, you know, some people haven't DJed in, in, in over a year now. How did you keep on finding the will to train knowing that you 
potentially don't have anything to train for? I think, yeah, for me, I'm quite goal-orientated. So as an athlete, like, if I... People might find this hard to believe, but if I haven't got a goal, like, I will lack the sort of motivation to get up and, and do it. So I think... When, funnily enough, when the Olympics got cancelled, I was still very motivated because the European Championships, which is a very much smaller event, which is just athletics and just in Europe, obviously, um, when they got cancelled, then, you know, I stopped training for about two weeks and I really just couldn't couldn't gather the motivation. I was just like, what's the point? Um, but I think that's how, you know, it affected me. And, you know, slowly, slowly, now that we're getting closer to the Olympics, it's just a lot easier to know that this is the goal and this is what I need to sort of get to that goal. I need to do A, B and C and I just get up and go. But at the time it was very, you know, hard mentally for me to just get my head around not having any sort of purpose. And what, in those two weeks, what is, what did you do that kind of made you think, right, come on, we got to get back out there? I was very lucky because I live in the lockdown. I was um, living with my partner at the time and he is an athlete too. So it was one of those things where it was just able to motivate each other. And um, we took turns, I think, (laughs) trying to motivate each other. But that was very um, tough at the start. But I think, yeah, I think trying to find the balance of thinking that this isn't my... I'm not doing it because it's my job. I'm doing it because I'm fortunate enough that is this is my job and I absolutely love doing this and not seeing it as such a chore mm. because I'm so lucky and I'm sure you feel the same about, you know, what you do. I'm so lucky to be an athlete and, and training is a pleasure. So it's one of those things of just changing perspective and not seeing it as like, oh God, I've got to, open, I've got to get and train and, you know, I've got nothing to train for. And it's just like, you know what, I'm, I'm an athlete. This is what I love and... The minute that's taken away from me, like I've got an injury, the only thing I want to do is train. So it's just about changing perspectives. Yeah, yeah, that's such a key thing. And I think it's the same sort of thing with the DJ. It's like, okay, well, you don't have anywhere to DJ. doesn't mean you still can't get behind the decks and and just enjoy it and and be in it and have the time to experiment and play around with things and and try different things. So I always thought that um, my sport in background, um, so I played football till I was 16. I used to do um, cross-country running as well. I think that it prepared me well um for what I do now and the kind of thought process um like I know that what you what you put in you get out and I know that it isn't all down to natural talent doesn't mean you automatically win um so when I was 13 I took part in a cross-country race it was just because we had to do it it was part of our PE lesson and it was out of the whole of uh, Lucian which is the borough that I'm in and by sheer fluke I won this race right (laughs) I won it um and then I got entered into the county race and then I came 12 and then suddenly they were like yeah okay we're going to enter you into the mini marathon and not once did I train and when the mini marathon came around I trained the weekend before I did one 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 half-assed run and (laughs) I failed miserably (laughs) it was uh, you know I was about 13 14 I think I came like 94th (laughs) and the worst time ever and I struggled you know it was it was it was painful it was the worst thing that as like my body at that time had been through and it was such a humbling experience I was like oh Okay, you might have won in Lucian, but you're not going to win out of, out of the country. That's, that's not going to happen. And I still feel embarrassed at how obnoxious that I was. So was there an experience in your youth that you feel um, maybe humbled you or made you kind of think about taking your, your craft more seriously? No, I can absolutely relate to you so much because when I was in primary school, um, I was quite sporty. So I'm from a um, background where my mum was a dancer and 
from when I was out of nappies. I used to do ballet and I was sort of, you know, I was a tomboy when I was younger. So I used to play with the boys. I used to do football um, and I went through all these different hobbies. And in primary school, I did cross country. I was terrible at it. And I think that's such a, I don't know, you obviously enjoyed it but because you were and stuff, but when you're exposed to a sport like that, which is just painful. It's so painful, it's isn't it? It's a different like, endurance, that, yeah. Like now I don't, I don't, it's not for me. Short, short bursts. I'm short cool sprints. With. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Same as me. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't even get picked for the cross-country team when I was in primary school. That's how bad I was. And I think it is about finding something you love. But yeah, I got humbled. Um, I had a similar experience to you, but just in a high jump, like I ended up, I did a one meter 32 scissor kick in year six, which was, you know, the record which was stuff that I have ever many years and then yeah I was just winning 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 and I remember getting to a competition and I thought I'd won it was like one of those school competitions where um this was in senior school now and I thought I'd won and then I remember this girl entering the competition after I had thought I'd already won she was entering on my like finishing height I remember just being absolutely gobsmacked at like how high she could jump. And yeah, I think I didn't take it well because I think once you get the little taste of like winning and stuff, it is very humbling. And I have always been a sort of sore loser. I know how to handle it better now. Um, But my mum used to take me to all these national championships when I was training a bit and getting more into it and competing at club level and she said every time I'd lose I wouldn't talk to her for the whole journey home I'd just sit there and this these were the days when you didn't have like iPhones to scroll on or like news I didn't have anything I would just sit there and steaming out of, the window <laughs> yeah just being my thoughts absolutely fuming so I think yeah I've definitely had a few humbling experiences um coming up and when you saw her you know in that moment when you saw her jump that high and you're like hold on a minute what did that light inspire in you did it kind of flick on a light did it make you approach the way you were going to train differently yeah it's like I think if things are always too easy then you know I don't think you'll ever be challenged to better yourself I think if you know I hadn't been beaten in that in that competition then I just would have been cruising through thinking, oh, this is way too easy. Um, and yeah, I don't think that the enjoyment would be there as much. Whereas when I eventually did beat that girl when I was a couple of years older, then, you know, I always remember, I don't think she noticed, but I always remembered and it, it just makes the, the winning experience so much better. She's your Michael Jordan uh, nemesis about knowing it. <laughs> and I took that personally. <laughs> 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 So I, I, it did make me think, though, that thinking about that that experience that I, I sort of had, it made me think about sort of natural ability. Maybe that for me was a natural ability. It wasn't something that I wanted to continue with, um, but it was a sort of initial natural ability that I had, but it needed to be sort of, you know, honed and, and trained. Yeah. And I think of myself like as a, as a broadcaster and a DJ. It's not actually like an instinctively natural ability that I have I didn't wake up someone didn't spot me and be like you know what you'd be you'd be great on radio like it was something that I had to um really work at over over the years and um apply the sort of 10,000 hours method to um for example like when I um started doing a drive time show on a youth station called represent I calculated in my head I was like right I'm sort of here right now I want to be here so if I do this drive time show that's two hours every day five days a week that's 10 hours a week if I do that for a year times all those hours by the end of it there is no way that I can't not be better 
that's yeah. kind of how I thought about it in my head. And you as a heptathlete, you do seven events. Um, is there one that comes more natural to you and is there one that you've had to work at? Yeah, for, for sure. I think for heptathlon, I think it's always humbling. It's, you can be the best in the world and I will get humbled every time I throw a shot put, for example, because I'm, I'm not good at that event. You know, I'm, I'm good in the sense of, you know, the, the average person on the street, I could probably throw further than them. But I think within my competition, I'm always ranked one of the, the lowest in that event. And naturally, the higher jump is, is what comes, yeah, most natural to me and is what I excel at and is one of my strongest events. And I remember... <laughs> being in London 2012 and a lot of people said at the time oh you know she doesn't got no belief in herself but remember in 2012 I was coming third at 19 years old after the high jump because the hurdles and the high jump were like two of my strongest events I remember people thinking oh you're gonna get the bronze medal and I instinctively said no because the shot puts next like obviously this is not you know an event that I excel at and I think it's an ongoing process like still now my shot put is you know, mid-table now, but it's still an event that, you know, is constantly just humbling me. And I've put in probably 10,000 hours, <laughs> I think, and must have over the years. And, you know, it's just one of those things that I can't be good at everything. And the heptathlon really does show that, but there are different ways to win. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a really good point, actually, having different ways to win. So you kind of hone, like excel maybe further than you needed to in those other areas to kind mm-hmm. of balance out. Compensate. Up. Yeah. For you as an athlete, what, what what do you then have to do to to get it to a level that you need it to be? Like, what is the process that goes into it? It's just stripping it down. It's absolutely stripping it down to the basics. So what you would do when, you know, you're teaching a, a seven-year-old and, and um, introducing them to the event, and it's just, like, work, work, work. And, you know, a lot of people have asked me, I've tried every single approach to this. I've, you know, only concentrated on shot puts. I've not thrown for three months and only done drills and seeing whether that transfers over into the technique and I think putting too much pressure on one event definitely um, got the better of me in the past I think it was just everyone would talk about the shot put and how terrible I was and then you know when you get into the the circle too it's always like the camera's there, there's photographers lying on the floor. So you, you get into the position of doing the shot put and you just see cameras there and then you think of um, what the commentators are saying about your shot put and then you're thinking if it's a bad throw, they're going, oh God, she's done it again and it's all this pressure. So I think I had to really strip that down, had to try and not care about what other people's opinions of me mm. were. I had to um, be open to just going into an environment, doing the shot put and failing. I um, went through a phase of not touching the shot put circle until I thought my technique was perfect. Whereas when I think it changed was when I would just expose myself so much to this circle that it just became like a normal environment for me to be in. And I didn't feel so intimidated by being in there. Yeah, that makes complete sense because so many people, I mean, that could be applied to so many different um, industries. People are like, I'm not going to do this until this is there. I'm not going to do this until I have this in place. Or it's not, I'm not going to put this out until, you know, everything else is lined up. And then what you kind of do is sort of build up this, um, I guess, sort of anticipation around it, which kind of starts to work against you. You, you make it kind of almost bigger than it needs to be. It's just like, just go and do it. It might not be great the first time around not everything might not be in place but 
you, you, you that's take that as the experience instead. Yeah, for sure. Like I used to be good at certain throwing techniques in training, and then when the pressure was on, like I'd, I'd break down there. So it's one of those things that you know you could practice something in private, and then you'd actually need the experience of doing it live in an event that you know you're under stress to see whether you can actually do it or not. Yeah, I'm the sickest DJ in my house. Like, <laughs> like I'm doing all the techers, but yeah, you might catch me on a day where it's just all off, and I might know those songs like inside out. Like, but it's kind of like in that in yeah, something got the got the better of me on that day. It could have been my period. It could have been just me. I'm not listening. You know, too much expectation. Are you the kind of person that gets um, frustrated? Yeah, um, for sure. I'll get really annoyed at myself like embarrassed almost like if I do a bad performance I'm like that's embarrassing like people have just witnessed that um and I think more so like in training I think frustration and then when I'm out and doing stuff in the open embarrassment um and yeah I do I do or I did I try not to anymore but care about the people's opinions of me um but with technique in particular I do get frustrated if it's not there um and almost like, yeah, just one of those things that I think as a heptathlete, you learn how to, you, well, you have to, you have to like just say, I, I've got seven events. So just say I have one bad event. I do need to learn to just get over it onto the next event, whether it's good or bad, just move on and concentrate on the next event. Um, yeah. And that's something that I've had to work on. Yeah, yeah. It's a kind of same, same, similar thing to DJing. You have, I always think you've got like, let's say out of a gig of five, right? You're going to have one that is like euphoric, it's through the roof, it's amazing, like everything is just in line and it's perfect. You have one that's good, you enjoy it, it's vibes. You have one that's, yeah, it's all right. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's not good, it's not bad, it is what it is, you're going through the motions. Then you have one that's like, okay, not really enjoying this, not sure if they are. Then you have the worst one and then it's just awful. It makes you really reconsider your whole career. You're like, what am I doing? I can't even DJ, like, I need to quit. You know, I need to retire, it's done. And then you go on a cycle. It just keeps on yeah. going. It just keeps going. <laughs> yeah, it keeps on. And then you get a good one again. You're like, oh, I'm back in. I'm here for yeah. it. This is why I do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly that. Yeah. But I do get frustrated. Like I do, you know, get frustrated with myself. And DJ Target once said to me, sometimes he, get, he used to get into a radio mood. So you'd start okay. the show off like feeling good, you know, and then you make one or two mistakes and you make another mistake and then you start to get into like a bad funk and you yeah. can't quite shake it. So you're like in a radio mood for the rest of the show. But then, yeah. you, you know, you listen back and you're like, Actually, it wasn't even that bad. And mm-hmm. that's sort of why I, I listen back to all of my radio shows and definitely with the DJ and sort of playing out live because things are in the moment. Um, you don't even know what you're doing half the time. It's just happening. But listening back is what's always kind of um, allowed me to be easier on myself because I'm like, actually, that was that was really good or that was fine. I don't know why you were annoyed at that section. Um, or to be like, shouldn't have taken it out then should have kept it yeah. in you could have kept it you could have kept it girl um do you watch yourself back in trade and yeah I think I really respond well like similar to yourself and I watch like physically watch myself um if somebody records like a throw or a jump um it's weird because you can see yourself through your own eyes when you're mm-hmm. trying to like practice an event in your head or you can see yourself through other through other people's eyes and I think when someone records it it always helps me more to see what other people can see and it's like oh well when I look at somebody who I think has got a good technique they look like that and I realize that I don't look like that but when 
you talk about championships, I don't watch them back because it's always commentated by somebody else. Ah, I didn't think and, of that. And they don't know what you've been through, your, your story, mm. if you've been injured. They don't know what technique you've been working on. They don't know anything, really. They're just given your, their opinion to the In masses. that moment, yeah. And to say the most, yeah. sens- you know, they're meant to be entertainers. So they're going to say the most sensational things in yeah. that moment. Ah. Yeah, exactly. And especially, you know, when they go back to the studio too, like I remember having a, a, well, it was in 2016, the Rio Olympics. I remember having a really bad competition there. And even in private moments, like in, in the javelin, um, my mum my and my whole family, they do tell me what, what's being said about me and they do tell me what's being... But at the time, like they were following, the cameras were following me around. I was like, literally like I had my head down, I was like stressing out and the cameras were following me around, just like doing like a, a commentary on this. And I, I just didn't like it at all. So since then, I've just not completely watched any of the championships. Um, I watched Doha because that was a good experience. But like before that, I was just like, no, because that's not my experience. That's somebody else's story of my experience. Mm. That must take quite a good discipline as well, actually, to have gotten to that point. It's like they say, don't read the comment section. Oh, God, yeah. Because <laughs> you know, then we have a human interest to want to know what other people are, are saying about us, especially when you've already kind of beaten yourself up about it. It's quite easy to get into that cycle of, yeah, well, they they were right, you know, all kind of things like that. So that's that's a really good good discipline. It's kind of like protecting your peace. Oh, yeah, I used to, well, because these are, these are experts who are talking about me too, you know, these are people who are employed who who know what they're talking about in a sense um so I used to believe when people say oh she's not doing this she's lost the confidence I'm like well maybe I have or maybe I need to work on this and you know what you need is a group around you who know actually what you do day in day out Mm. you know it's it's one of those things where it's just like bat it all out and block it all away mute it yeah (laughs) literally (laughs) mute it yeah what does a typical um sort of training week when you're sort of like you know training for for a goal what does that week look like for you it's always normally quite similar I think now um I've got just the week set up so I train um six days a week two of those dates will be twice a day and um because I do different events I have to balance it between technique you know sprint endurance power gym I don't do all the events each week, but over a two-week span, I'll do all the events. Um, that's it. Wow, that's it's quite <laughs> it's quite intense, isn't it? Um, and a lot, you know, obviously, you're kind of going back to those those hours that you put in. Um, do you feel like um, you know they have the sort of you know like they say like one success is kind of doing the same thing over and over and over again, and then on the other hand, they say that um, insanity is doing the same thing but expecting different results. Mm-hmm. How does that sort of play into um, athleticism? Um, for me, I, I completely um, believe in that. I think the biggest example of that can be when um, I moved to coach in 2016. I remember having a couple of years, um, 2014 to 2016, where I was either getting injured or not finishing a heptathlon Um and just doing the same training and, and the, the same injuries with the care. You know, I pulled my quad three times in different occasions through the span of two years. And that is literally insanity when you think about it. Like, yeah. um, so I think I would, you know, believe that. And for you, it's kind of like um, working smarter, not harder. Yeah. And it, it's still it's still working. It took me a long time to adapt to my new coach's training schedule. 
I didn't think I was doing very much, but because I was doing it consistently week in, week out, and it was little and often, my body could handle it better. And it was just actually smarter than actually going to the track, putting in a four-hour stint where I'm absolutely exhausted and I'm shattered on the floor afterwards, thinking that I've worked hard and done a good job, but my body's actually breaking down. Whereas I do have those sessions still where I'm exhausted and I'm lying on the floor, but we build up to them and then we've got rest time after that. Was that kind of like a, did you have to kind of unlearn the mental side of things? You know, you mentioned like feeling like you had, you know, the the previous way that you trained, feeling like you had, um, because you were shattered, meaning that you had done a good job. But I always thought with DJing that the more that you DJed, like if you're DJing every weekend and twice a weekend and, you know, the more that you DJed, the more successful it meant that you were. And when I got a, a new agent... He was kind of like, um, his thing is 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 quality over quantity and doing it in short bursts and maybe we, we put a tour here or we think about a strategy here or we map some gigs around here and we make it a bit more exclusive. And I was like, couldn't, couldn't quite like, I was just like, um, I was like, I don't know about that. And he was like, okay, he's like, well, how's it working out for you? He was like, you know, how, how is DJing every weekend working out for you? He's like, you're getting paid more? You're moving up the lineup? In the last two years, you've been DJing every weekend what's changed in two years I was like yeah he stumped me on that one I didn't actually have a response and I thought you know what I'll, I'll try it your way yeah it's been in, it's been good it's been better and he has he has yeah, he has definitely. come through on the things that he said and it and for me it's felt better because I've enjoyed the gigs that I have I'm working up to them I'm more excited about them um I've got more time to actually think about what I want to play and not be sort of reactive instead but for you yeah. did you kind of have to unlearn the thought process no uh, for you, sorry for you I think yeah, that's really important and you sort of I think I can I can try and relate that to like me just being lying on the floor exhausted after like pushing myself for four hours straight that's you every weekend like basically like just doing yeah. the same thing and I think mm-hmm. what I said before about you need like a group of people around you who you trust like you know that like that's work now and he was right so you know that you can just literally just do you know what he says and it takes mm-hmm. a lot more stress from you that you know that you're getting guided from you know a person who knows what they're talking about yeah yeah definitely yeah 100 yeah, percent. that's what I'm like with my coach now like at first it didn't I was like this this isn't working for me I need to be doing like the big sessions I've got like an 800 meters to get ready for and then when I did my first heptathlon and I was pretty much like I think I got a pb by 10 points but it's still a pb that's the best I've ever done I was like okay <laughs> Okay, you're onto something then. Yeah, <laughs> you like, oh, I'll give you that one. <laughs> Take it. <Yeah. laughs> that actually leads me quite nicely um, to talk about like personal best because the way that I approach like the mixes that I make, say for like publications, um, I kind of approach them and think about every mix is like that's my personal best, and I kind of need to be better than than that mix. So like for example, like I'm currently working on um an essential mix. Um and before I did a resident advisor mix. So the resident advisor mix, I'm listening back to that and that for me was like the best that I was then. But I know that the next mix has to be better. So how do you approach your like personal best? It's it's hard because I always as an athlete you have personal best. You know, you do compare yourself to the time before and it is just human nature I think it is is natural to be like okay this is the best I've ever done if I don't get that then that's definitely a failure but with heptathlon it 
forget individual events at the minute, but with heptathlon, because there's so many different ways that you can get to a personal best. It's like, okay, well, the progression was in these areas. And I know that now if they, you like spinning plates, basically. Mm -hmm. So if I'm spinning this plate and that's the hurdles and that's going really well, and then I'll go and try and work on like the javelin. And yeah, it's just trying to not sort of compare the result as the failure or win. It's comparing how you've put it together. Mm, The journey. Ultimately, the only time that you step onto the track and it's, everything's on the line is the major championships and do do you compare yourself to other other athletes because obviously the world the world does the world is like you're ranked here and you're ranked there and you know obviously I know without listening to the commentators but they're like and so and so is running up and they da 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 and you know (laughs) um do do you do you compare yourself to athletes or do you try to not I I I used to I definitely used to in the competition you know I'd know certain athletes are strong at this event and if they're weak at this event or they've got a personal best, that means that their overall personal best is going to be, that means that they're going to be ahead of me. I need to do this in order to beat them. And it is exhausting. You're doing a two-day event. You're doing seven different events and you can't waste your energy on on like worrying, like really drains me. Yeah. If they, if they beat me, then they deserve to to beat me like we're all trying our best here so if that happens then you know I'm an adult and I can get over it all I need to do is be in this moment and try and get the most out of this moment yeah and I think you sort of touched on something like flipping the perspective like it's saying you know they won okay cool you know like hats off to you and I think something that I definitely had to learn is to take the comparison and flip it into a source of inspiration like yes that person just did that okay that oh that means that maybe that's potential that I could do that you know what I mean maybe I didn't think it was something that I could do or be a part of and seeing them do it it's been like yeah okay they did that sick you know turning it into like a kind of inner cheerleader to like reverse it on yourself definitely I think that is when I competed at the Olympics in 2012 and I was literally there like with Jessica Crenis Hill I walked the victory lap with her and she won. And that's the that's the time when I was like, okay, I want an Olympic gold because look at this, like, look how incredible this is. And because I literally witnessed her do it, I knew it was mm. possible. I'm sure she was the same with Denise Lewis before her and Denise Lewis was the same with, you know, Mary Rand and stuff. So it was one of those things where it's like, you can see that it's possible. So it's easier for you to get your head around. And I think... It was harder for me, you know, when Jess came back and then we started getting pitted against each other. That's when you can be like, oh, well, you know, and that's when you can start, that's when you start to compare yourself in a bad way. And I'm I'm glad that I've grown out of that, that sort of phase now myself, but it's definitely just trying to change perspectives again. Yeah, it's a journey. It's not, it's never complete. <laughs> you have to kind of keep checking in with yourself because there's definitely moments where I'm like, ah. <laughs> In life in general, you have your kind of wins and you have you have your losses. And this kind of podcast is kind of designed to reflect on the losses, but spin it in, into a positive. What would you say is the, the biggest loss in your career? Um, the biggest loss for me was, was Beijing in 2015. I think a lot of people will probably be surprised because they'll think it was 2016 because you know Olympics only come around every four years but it was one of those years where the year before I was playing first in the world um even though I cracked my foot open I had a really good score from the beginning of the year I was 21 years old um which is very young for a heptathlete and 
Yeah, going into 2015 or 22, I almost got the world record in the pentathlon. So going into the world championships that summer, a lot of people uh, hung the gold medal around my neck. And that was the year also that Jess came back from pregnancy. So it was a big UK interest in the fact that we were, you know, both British people, both going for the gold. And I hadn't experienced, I thought my career was on this like incline where I hadn't, I did 2012, I came 16th. I did 2013 in the World Champs, I came 5th. 2014, I was ranked number one. So I was like, okay, this is it now. This is when, you know, I'm going to break through and I'm going to get this world gold medal. And everything after that indoor season went wrong, basically. Like I was just constantly chasing fitness and I had knee issue. I had quad pull and I had no preparation for it, but I put myself up there on the line and I almost, almost did it. Um, day two, long jump. I was coming in. Long jump's one of my strongest events. I was coming into that event, trying to like start to take the lead. And that's when I got three no jumps, which meant basically I was out of the competition. I no scored in that event, which means you lose however many points. In my case, probably about 1,000 points, which completely ruins my heptathlon score. And Jess went on to win. To deal with that was like really like sober and like, hated the sport kind of like pain and I was entered in the long jump at the time as well as well as the heptathlon so in order for me to continue in the world championships I needed to finish the event so I had to actually go out and do the 800 wow um and then I didn't want to go out and run fast because it would kill my legs off the long jump so I literally had to go out and jog around and I just remember thinking like I said before the commentary on this must be brutal for me now to be jogging around. Oh my God. And yeah, it was like literally the worst moment of my life, that that championships. And it took me a long time to to get over and my confidence was shook after that, um, both performance-wise and in my body because of the year, because of the injuries. And yeah, that still went into 2016, so actually affected the Olympics too because I didn't go over it at all. Like people who know my career think like I am persistent and I don't give up and stuff. But in those those two years, I was pretty much, you know, I, I wanted to give up. and I hadn't had the mental strength to deal with that stuff at the time. What did you do? Um, I just, yeah, I went on, on the actual day of the championships. Luckily, my mum was there. So I left the team hotel and stayed in her hotel for about three days yeah. just windows windows closed <laughs> yeah I didn't yeah. leave the bed just crying I was in room service she was crying with me too it's interesting that you said you know what you're thinking that you're on this trajectory and we do think that things you know it's up 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 it's what we're taught it goes up 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 yeah. up, up and we're not taught that Some, sometimes at different points you have to kind of uh, plateau a little bit and then go up again yeah. you know you don't, we don't mm-hmm. it's just not constant and I had like a really sick year of DJing it was 2018 and I was like at every you know every festival that I could have dreamed at playing and had this amazing run of gigs and then 2019 came around and it was like like nothing <laughs> and I remember like thinking like what the fuck like <laughs> where, where, where are my gigs gone? Like, what, why have I got not got no gigs? And I remember talking to um, another DJ that I, I respect and he was kind of like, you know, the same sort of thing had happened to him. He'd had one year where he smashed it out and then he was like, the next year, you didn't get no gigs because you'd, you'd already played the year before. 
you know what I mean? You had nothing more, yeah. you know, they can't book you again. Not every, not every festival can book you again and again and again. It's just not the way it works. But it's like, what are you going to do in this year where it's a lower year and it's a, it's a quieter year? What are you going to do to like make sure that the next year is a bigger year for you? And it kind of took a real sort of like personal journey of thinking about actually what I want to play, um, working on my confidence because it had been knocked, you know, kind of thinking like, oh, maybe it's because I'm shit, I'm, I'm irrelevant, you know. Um, or, or, and I felt a, a little bit like a failure, like did I not grasp the opportunities that were in front of me? And I think like through working with like a kind of life coach and talking through those things kind of helped me come out of that like funk that I was in. Yeah, no, for sure. And that sounds like similar to me. You was because these people didn't book you, you was put in you know, your worth mm-hmm. onto their opinion, yeah. which is never some like something that, yeah, I've tried not to do. Like my worth isn't as an athlete. Like I am a human outside of mm. that as well. So I think when you can separate the both of them, that's much better, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> much more happy, happier life <laughs> when you can. Um, I want to talk about like a kind of, I've been. I was watching some of your videos earlier today. I was watching the highlights um, from Doha, and I don't know. I was like, "Oh my god, you go, girl!" <laughs> it's so incredible to watch. Like to me, like excellent seeing your body do oh, the things you. that it does. I, I, it just yeah, it made me feel like quite emotional. Um, it was really cool to watch, and it made me think about you know when you bottle up a feeling like seeing you when you were lying on the floor, and it, it kind of you know you 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 had won and the the feeling that kind of waved over you from sort of like the exhaustion but then the realization and then the happiness and the joy you could see it all in your face and it made me think of um when I finished recording a tv show um last year for this uh, thing called jazz 625 and it was like recorded as live and we spent like you know weeks and weeks beforehand rehearsing 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 and then we did it and then when I came home after two days of filming like I just felt yeah I felt but I felt like I wanted to like put that feeling of like joy and happiness and and accomplishment like in a bottle to like go back to whenever I needed it so yeah. when you have those when you know you and Doa when you were on the floor like what what were you feeling yeah I know it's I was feeling all sorts of emotions a lot of people always ask me like what, what's my favorite event or like what's my favorite moment of the heptathlon I always say it's when it's over but I'm not doing that as like a joke it's like literally when you cross the line that sense of achievement and being able to complete something like you know after what I've just said about 2015 where I couldn't complete heptathlon because of my injuries and or because of like a no jump like actually crossing the line and achieving and completing it and being in one piece and actually winning it's like something that I I had to it took a long time to truly believe that it was possible um based on you know my own confidence based on how strong my other competitors are and that feeling is something that I'm so happy that I will always just have, like, I'm always just going to be able to, you know, go back and relive that moment. But in the moment, I think after the 800, your body is just absolutely done and you just hit the floor. And I just looked up and I just wanted to see my name. I just wanted to see my name at the top because that's all I've ever wanted. Like, normally when I cross the line, I look and go, okay, what place have I come now? Because I don't really know. But I knew that I'd won, but I just wanted to... I just wanted someone else to confirm it. I was just looking at the screen and waiting for my name to to come up with the gold medal next to it, and it did. So, yeah, I was I was just relief, but just happiness. Yeah, 
it's like pure just ever that's just happiness to me um what's the best bit of advice that another athlete has given to you because obviously part of me wanting to speak to you is that I feel like you know so much of what athletes do how they think um and the, the, the dedication to their craft can be applied to to literally anything in your life so what's the best advice that an athlete has given you um best advice best advice I've got given actually is from my training partner mm-hmm. um, in France and he was just talking about himself and he, when he got his, his big score, one of his best personal best scores, he got most of the the events on the third jump. So in long jump, in high jump, shot put, in the throws and the jumps, you have three attempts normally um, and three attempts at each height in the, the vertical jumps. And most of the times that he's done a PB, all of his best scores have come on the third attempt. Whereas sometimes I fall into the trap of if I do two things and they're both bad, I'll be like, well, this is me for the day then. This mm-hmm. is clearly the level I'm at today. And I always sort of wasted the third attempt. So yeah, because you've given up slightly, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, so I, I know that feeling. Yeah, so it's one of those, the best things he said to me was like, well, he didn't give me advice, but he told me that story of his being on the third attempt. So I think in in Doha, my my shot put was on the third attempt and I did remember that, like, just because I've thrown twice at this this same distance doesn't mean that it's not possible for me to throw again right now and Mm. get a personal best. And I think, yeah, I just never give up on that third attempt. Kat, thank you so much. I've I've loved talking to you, and I, I just I you know I love hearing about industries out, outside of my own, but hearing about um, your dedication to to being an athlete, what you do, what you've been through. I just think it's so inspiring. Thank you. No, and you too. I love hearing about your journey too, and I think yeah, I definitely relate to a lot of things. And thank you for having me. I loved that conversation. I loved talking to Kat. I think seeing her sort of on a screen opposite me is better than watching any sports documentary that I have ever watched. I love the advice that she gave that she had received through someone else's story about, you know, thinking about the third attempt and it can happen on the third attempt. So often, like I mentioned, getting into a radio funk, thinking, oh, it's all gone wrong, it's not happening. But knowing that you have that third chance to make it happen, it's kind of keeping that mentality and, and, and keeping the positivity going. I love the fact how honest she was in her down moments, like speaking about Beijing. You could really feel what that did to her, but also hearing her experience of when she won in Doha, like you literally feel her journey. Um, So I feel like whether it's throwing a shot putt or launching your own business, there are so many parallels that you can take. And, you know, Beyonce sees herself as an athlete. So why don't we? Thanks for being here for this episode of the DIY Handbook. I've been Jam Supernova. And if you like what you heard, then just let me know. Leave a review, talk to me on socials, and please, please subscribe because there's more great information, stories, and advice to come in future episodes. This podcast was created by me, Jam Supernova. Production from Amy Bennett. Music and audio production from Sam Interface. <laughs>